From Upstate's HealthLink on Air, I'm Amber Smith. If someone you care about is dealing with a diagnosis of dementia in themselves or as a caregiver to someone else, you'll want to know uh, what to expect as the disease progresses. There are several behaviors that are common, and here to help us understand them is licensed medical social worker Whitney Hadley, the Associate Program Director at the Alzheimer's Association of Central New York. Thanks for being here, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there are five specific behaviors I want to ask you about in detail. But first, um, why is it that people with dementia um, behave in certain particular ways? So behavior is actually a form of communication. So as part of the disease with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia, there's things going on in the brain that are causing the communication between the nerve cells to slow down or take a lot longer. So if somebody's having a hard time communicating... Like verbally communicating. Verbally communicating. For example, if I have a headache and I have a hard time coming up with the word for headache, how am I going to describe that to you? Or if I'm hungry, how am I going to tell you that I'm hungry? Right? So most of the behaviors that become common when someone enters the middle stages of the disease are really just ways of communicating needs or discomforts or emotions. Okay. Okay. So they kind of come out around the middle of the disease. It's not a symptom of the disease at the beginning. It comes out sort of in the middle. It's not a symptom of the disease. It's more um, a sign of the progression of the disease. So typically you start to see some of these behaviors more towards the middle stages. Okay. And we should say that dementia um, can be caused by Alzheimer's or some other related diseases. It's not all. Yes. So there's several types of dementia and Alzheimer's is the most common. Okay. Well, let's start. Let's get right into this. Um, one of the, the first uh, specific behavior I want to talk about is anxiety or agitation, because this is probably something that is pretty common. Yes. So um, anxiety or agitation could look a lot like restlessness or pacing, or it could be um, over-reliance on a caregiver. So I know a lot of caregivers that I work with talk about how they can be walking around the house and the person that they're caring for their loved one is constantly attached at the hip or they're constantly looking for their caregiver. And part of that is if I'm feeling anxious or uncertain about something and I am losing control when it comes Mm -hmm. to the disease, I want to be around what's most familiar, what's my safety. Um, So a lot of times restlessness, pacing around the house or constantly relying on the caregiver to be there at all hours of the day is what you would see when it when you're talking about anxiety or agitation. Well, understanding it is one thing, but living with it and how do you deal with it is another because what, right. I mean, what, what advice do you have for... Right, so we actually have a four-step process that we kind of help people walk through that the first step is actually to detect and connect. So what is going on? So, you know, in this example, we would talk about, okay, so they're constantly pacing around the house at 7 o'clock at night and talking about how they need to go home, Right. 7 o'clock at night, the caregiver's probably ready to have dinner and go to bed. They probably worked all day or they've been, you know, working with the person with the disease all day. They're probably tired. So what's going on? What is the behavior that you're seeing? And what's the circumstances around it? It's dinner time and immediately they're getting up and starting to pace around the halls, right? So that's the first step is detect and connect. The second step is what are the physical issues that you might see? So if somebody's pacing around the house constantly and they won't sit down to dinner, they might start to lose a lot of weight, right, because they're not eating enough. Or maybe they have shoes on that are a little too big because 
they're walking so much and they're breaking down, right? So some of the physical needs would be making sure that the shoes fit properly so that they're not going to hurt themselves or prone to fall. And also finding a way to, while they're pacing, get them to eat something, give them a sandwich to eat while they're walking around the house, right? Um, You also want to look for what are some medical issues? Have they gotten enough um, food today? Are they dehydrated? Are their medications being accurately balanced? Did they take their medications today? And could they potentially be in pain or do they have an infection? So first, you always want to look at the physical needs because it could be a simple, you know, they haven't had enough water to drink today and that's exacerbating some of the behavioral symptoms. So the second step is to look what are the emotional needs. So if somebody's pacing around the house saying they need to go, they're getting anxious about something. What could be the root of that? A lot of times when someone's in the middle stages of the disease, they may be living more in their past. So for example, if we have a woman who, as soon as her family sits down to eat dinner, she says, I have to go and starts pacing the halls, she might have been a night nurse, right? So if she was a night nurse, she is in the mindset of my family is taken care of, they're going to eat dinner, and I need to go to work. So if you know something about someone's past, that can be very helpful. What is the emotional need? You always, always want to focus on the feeling and not the fact. So what is the feeling going on underlying that behavior? This takes a lot of practice. For a caregiver, if you're in that situation, if you're trying to get everyone to eat dinner and your loved one is just pacing around the house saying they need to go, they're getting agitated, you need to take a step back and identify what could be going on here behind the scenes. The final step is once you've worked through the behavior, you want to reassess and plan for next time. So in this situation, did you offer a sandwich while she was walking and she kept walking and eventually, you know, she ate something and eventually she got tired and went to sleep? Kind of keep a notebook. I think taking notes is one of the best things a caregiver can do. Helps you identify progression of symptoms. Helps you to work through if you start to see a behavior more frequently what could be causing it? Maybe there's something that's not as obvious that's causing it. You know, maybe there's something that they're seeing because they're having a hard time with their depth perception that they can't interpret a shadow, right? So if you start to write these things down, what time of day is this happening? What's going on that could be triggering it? You'll start mm-hmm. to see patterns and that That's will help advice. you in the future. So, and, and also if something works and you're like liable to have this happen tomorrow night at 7 Exactly. You'll start to see what works and you'll start to realize, hey, you know, she doesn't need to sit down to eat dinner. Or maybe if we call it lunch, because she's living in that mindset of being on the night shift, if you call it lunch instead Mm -hmm. of dinner, that might work for her, right? So, you know, identifying little successes along the way, because as long as you're there with them and reassuring them and offering your support, that's a success. This is Upstate's HealthLink on air, and I'm talking with uh, social worker Whitney Hadley from the Alzheimer's Association Central New York chapter about how to understand behaviors that are related to dementia. And another behavior is confusion or suspicion. Um, When do you see this? So confusion or suspicion is actually really common, um, and this is where knowing how to look at the feelings behind what's going on instead of the facts can be really helpful. So if I walk into my apartment every day and put my keys down on my kitchen table every day, But today I walk in and I have groceries and my gym bag and everything ends up on the floor and I don't pick it up, but I go do whatever I need to do. And then when I go to leave and my keys aren't on the table, I can retrace my steps, right? I can say, oh, maybe they're over here. 
For someone with the disease, they lose the ability to retrace their steps because of what's happening at a cellular level in the brain. So if I put my stuff down every day right next to where you're sitting and I walk away and I can't find it, right? And you're sitting there where my keys should be, the logical response is, well, you must have stolen them or you know where they might be, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at it from the perspective of the person with the disease, that is very logical, right? But if somebody, if I'm coming up to you and saying, you stole my keys, where the heck are my keys? That can be very frustrating. Right. So that's where you're going to want to identify, well, what's the feeling behind this of they can't find their keys? It's probably making them concerned. Maybe they're a little embarrassed, right? So in that situation, you would want to say, oh, you know, I, I let me help you find the keys. That must be really, really mm-hmm. stressful for you. Let me help you find them. We'll look for them together. Instead of saying, well, I don't have your keys which is a natural response, right? Okay. Uh, What about repetition? Repetition can actually be one of the more stressful um, behaviors for a caregiver because if you're trying to go about your day and your loved one has the disease and they're saying, what time's lunch? Six times in a row at 9 a.m. That can be very frustrating. What we want to do is look for, you know, physical needs behind that. Are they asking what time lunch is because they had a really small breakfast at 7 o'clock in the morning and they need a snack? Are they thirsty? Are they maybe understimulated or overstimulated? Do they need to engage? Do they just need to talk to someone? In the situation of repetition, you always want to answer the question the same way every time and briefly keep it to the point. Um, instead of saying, you know, lunch is at noon, but before that we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Instead, you would say, lunch is at noon. And as soon as they repeat it again, you say, lunch is at noon. It could be that they're taking longer to process what you're saying, and it takes five times of hearing it to really process and get that to sink in. But it could just not be the case. They might just really honestly be forgetting that they're asking, in which case you would answer and then redirect the person. So lunch is at noon, let's go get ready for lunch. Or lunch is at noon, let's go fold these towels. Let's go for a walk. You know, identify a way to physically redirect somebody. It's got to be really hard not to say, I just told you. Oh, my gosh, it is. And that's where working through these steps over time, you're not going to react in the perfect way every time. You're you're a human, right? So you might be having a really stressful morning. You might be tired. You might be hungry. And the last thing that you want is to answer the same question again the same way again because now you're being repetitive. So in that case, it's okay to take a breather and say, lunch is at noon, and then walk away for a minute, right? Okay. All right. What about aggression or anger? So aggression or anger is actually um, usually more scary than it is dangerous. So a lot of times there's a misconception that somebody has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease or dementia, and oh, that means they're going to get aggressive, or that means that they're going to um, get angry all the time. That's not necessarily the case. It does happen from time to time. Um, And in that situation, you really need to piece together what is causing it. So that's where after the situation occurs, um, after you de-escalate the situation, really sitting down and walking through these steps of what was going on. Was I standing there with my arms crossed across my chest when I was talking to them? Did I not look them in the eye? Did did I have a different point of um, tone of voice going on? We really want to identify what could be leading up to it and how we can prevent it in the future. Does it have anything to do 
with what that person was like personality-wise before they got the disease? It could, but it could actually be the exact opposite. Really? Okay. Um, unfortunately, there's no prediction of whether or not somebody will be aggressive. I've okay. heard stories of people who were unpleasant their whole lives and then become the sweetest people in the world. Wow. All right. Now, in wandering, um, which to me, it seems like a huge safety concern. Um, yes. So um, actually, about 60% of people in the middle stages will wander. Um, there is no warning sign for this. So that is something that we really try to stress. Um, unfortunately, the only way you can prevent it is to have safety precautions in place. And, you know, we offer through the Alzheimer's Association something called Medical Alert Safe Return, which is an ID bracelet that says, I have a memory impairment. It has a phone number and an ID number on it that allows first responders to um, connect the person who has wandered with their caregiver. Neat. And I know the um, Alzheimer's Association, you have some other services, support services as well, um, that can help with these. Do you have classes? or We have tons of education programs. Um, our chapter covers 14 counties, and so we are constantly providing education in the public. You can go on our website at alz.org to identify where there's a class near you. We have one about understanding and responding dementia-related behaviors. Oh, good um, to know. We also have our 24-7 helpline which is probably the most important resource that you can know about. Um, you can call this number any time of day. You can call it after you've worked through a behavior and get tips or in the middle of a behavior to get tips. The number for that is 1-800-272-3900. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this information. This has been uh, Whitney Hadley from the Alzheimer's Associ Association of CNY, and I'm Amber Smith, and you've been listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.